0: I wanted to talk exclusively about the psalm today because it's one of the most meaningful and beautiful ones in the, in the Psalter. Um, but before we do that, I want to just highlight a little bit from Romans as well. Romans is the, this account of, of, um, of how salvation happens in God's economy. And here, Paul is talking to his own people. Uh, He's not really talking to modern Jewish people that are around today. He's talking to the people of his time who were part of his community, saying that um, it is that even people who keep the law find themselves to be quite hypocritical. Isn't this true of how we see the world, even our own world? Um, It's often the attorney generals of the world that have the most legal troubles. It is often the law givers who seem to be able to break the law the easiest. And so in his indictment of all humanity, God is speaking through Paul saying, all are guilty, especially the ones who say they're not. Um, He says, Gentiles who don't have the law of Moses um, have a law written inside their heart. You can hear it in a child screaming, that's not fair. If you've ever heard a child scream that, or if you've ever screamed that, (laughs) at an early part of your life, you said, that's not fair. And you can see it, that something wasn't fair, that someone got something that you didn't. And what did your parents say? They probably said the same thing mine said, a fair is what you pay to ride a bus. And we never really rode the bus as kids. Um, (laughs) So uh, it didn't make much sense uh, till later that crying out that something isn't fair won't get you very far in life. Um, you have to sort of adjust to the inequities and unfairness of the world and the cruelty of the world. And in this, Paul is saying this is the law written on everyone's hearts. There is a law. You can go to the, the deepest jungles of South America or, or the, the steppes of Russia or the, the northern Arctic circle and meet with people who have never really lived anywhere but in an extreme uh community of isolation. And there's still rules, there's still laws. There's still things you don't do and things you can do and not do. Um, this law is written on the hearts. It's not just something invented by a religion um, at some point in human history. And so uh, the law is thats is that X-ray machine that doesn't really cure us, but it tells us what's wrong. It also gives us a sense of who God is. And God is a God of justice, that's what we see. The law. But I wanted to talk about Psalm 71. You you don't see it in your in, in your prayer book uh, Psalm version, but all the Psalms, for the most part, well, I'd say about 75% of them have a, a superscription. In other words, like a little preamble to tell you what the Psalm's about or who wrote it. Um, this is probably not uh in the original Hebrew of the actual first person to write Psalm 71 or 70, 70, or Psalm 23, it says a Psalm of David, you know, right there, Psalm 23. So we often associate David with Psalm 23. This was probably written later as the Psalms were kind of collated into that 150 category. I've always thought that the Psalm editor, the final person who put the whole thing together and hit send to go to the printer was like, we've got like 300 Psalms and the the, the Psalm editor, chief editor says, no, we can only have 150. Okay, take that one that's real, take take the that chunk that David wrote and make it all one Psalm, Psalm 119, and make it have like 500 verses. <laughs> and then the rest, so you get that 150 even number. Uh, I think they might have had some process. But you have a number of different writers of Psalms. And here, Psalm 69 is says is written by David, or excuse me, Psalm, uh, Psalm 70, it, it says is written by David. That's the Psalm that comes right before Psalm 71, as you know. Uh, it says for the music leader of David for the memorial offering. And then Psalm 71 doesn't have a superscription, doesn't say who, where, what, when. But then Psalm 72 says of Solomon. So, we see a transition here of some kind in the book. This isn't the only transition in the, in the Psalter, the book of Psalms, but we see a transition from David to Solomon. Solomon famously is David's son. He is born of the union of and marriage to Bathsheba after her husband is murdered by David. And, and out of this um, marriage comes Solomon, the next king, probably the greatest king to ever live um, in the world, the wisest king but we see a transition from David to Solomon right here. And Psalm 71 is written by an old person. Now, in today's culture, we don't have old people anymore. We have middle-aged people, right? We have people that are, um, that are like eternally young. And as a scholar of American history, you can look at generational transitions pretty clearly. The World War II generation um, and the trauma they endured Out of that trauma comes the the baby boomers born literally from the war, from the return from war, the triumphant return from war. And and then you see like this little blip of Gen X in there, there's not many of them, millennials, Gen Z. And it's easy to kind of divide people up by generation because age really is an actual thing. Even though we might look older or younger than our age, um, it is a, the sun does, the earth does go around the sun every year and that's another year and the aging process is something that really no human has ever been able to escape from like they always say in those articles that are often shared on social media eating eggs reduces your chance of death by seven percent you know it's like pretty sure the chance is a hundred percent uh last time i checked but this psalm is written by an old person someone who is nearing the end of their life and, they're, and they reflect on, <clears throat> on birth, their birth. I think the aging process does tend to point us towards our birth more than almost anything else. Um, I didn't think much about being a child or my birth when I was in my teens. I thought about being in my teens and when I was in my twenties, I didn't think much about <laughs> childhood. Um, it's only as we can reflect and see the whole sweep of our lives that we can reflect on this, and then he gets to that part where he says, <clears throat> "He says, even in my old age with gray hair, don't abandon me, God." That's a more modern translation, verse fifteen. But he says, "My he says, um, now that I am old and gray headed, O God, do not forsake me." Uh, the The ancient world that the Psalms were written in had famously few old people. Um, Probably different than uh, even the, the, our world today, where we look at statistics of baby boomers um, aging and say, wow, that's going to be a lot of old people soon. Um, do we have the infrastructure to care for um, our parents and our grandparents and all those that we love? Um, and yet in the ancient world, there were people that lived a really long time. There were people that lived um, not into their 90s and <clears throat> certainly 80s and 70s, but there were less of them the occurrences of infections, diseases, uh, epidemics, uh, just minor injuries that would put you out of the game health-wise for a long time um, that are pretty easily treatable with penicillin and things like that today um, just didn't exist. So to be able to get to old age was a pretty big accomplishment. It was a a place of reverence uh, and it still can be today. I think the Psalm is pointing to this universal truth that our old age, our ability to live a long time is a grace of God. And we and it requires certain things of us. Uh, when we get to this point in our lives, we can actually praise God in an entirely new way because we can reflect on all of life. Um, we can reflect on the great troubles and adversities, it says. And we can also treasure the way God restored our life. You can see if you've lived a long time the pattern of restoration that happens even after the biggest calamities that have that happened to us you can also see the deep places of the earth this is the hero's journey talked about by Joseph Campbell and others it's the star wars saga it's basically the plot of every probably movie and novel ever written the hero sets out with a kind of innocence of the world not sure what is going to happen. And then something happens where they descend into their own death. They go into hell. They go into the abode of the dead, Hades. They battle um, down there. They try to figure out how to come out of it, how to survive it. And then they emerge on the other side of that with knowledge for the community. And that's basically the plot of every movie, The Hero's Journey, but you can see it here. He says, you brought me up again out of the deep places of the earth, out of death itself. If you live long enough, you've had to face death yourself, maybe more than once, maybe more than many times. And so God strengthens this, them more and more. And then the end of this psalm is about singing and playing the harp. Um, do elderly people in our society have something to say to us about what, what true beauty is in this world? Yes, I think they do. Um, And so this praise of God is how the whole psalm ends. Even though it touches on the adversities and hardships of life, it ends with a blessing. It ends with a blessing. And I I have been blessed by many people that are much older than me. Uh, For instance, I was a kid, I always preferred to hang out with elderly people rather than people my own age. Um, If you've ever been one of those kind of teenagers, it's kind of lonely at times. But it makes more sense because you're like, why would I want a bunch of people that have no idea what's going on to be around me? I want people that seem to have some sense of that they've survived something, they've gone through this. And so if you're older than somebody, and even I'm older than some people, we have a responsibility to bless, to encourage, to listen to, to to, to bring joy. And so often I fail in that. And so often we all fail in that, to really bless the next generation, especially the next generation in our church. There are many young Episcopalians in our church, many. Um, Because of the size of our churches, they tend to be very isolated. Many of them meet in online communities. Many of them, um, if they go to church on a Sunday, they might be the only one in their 10-year age bracket or something like that. And yet we can encourage them in a really wonderful and profound way. I think we do that um, when we when we uh, promote the stuff that they're doing, when we, when we listen to them and when we care for them. So I, I believe this psalm is like timely for our church at large and my life in particular as I think about um, what it means to grow older and how we can bless the world. And I, I want to say to anyone here that's older than me, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for pouring your life into mine. To, to let me listen to what you've shared about your life, the things you've learned over time. It's been a great honor to, to hear that. And many of you have written this psalm with your life. Every single person makes their mark and influences the world. Every person has an effect on it. And it's, it's, um, it is the prayer that we pray. And now that I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me. Amen. Um,